Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome back to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And we are again today joined by another special guest, someone that we have been wanting to chat with thanks to social media. You know, it's funny how social media works. You can love it or you can hate it or you can do both, which I think we all feel. (laughs) Many times we have a love-hate relationship with it, but we have found people who have been educators, teachers, and have educated us on science and the evolving science behind a myriad of things, whether it's COVID or whether it's just, you know, how to reach optimal health and things that you can do to to, uh, preserve your health and to um, return to health when you're sick. And certainly we've had our resident Kristen on the podcast who was an ER nurse for 17 years and she helps Amy and I um, do the deep dives on the scientific literature and the peer-reviewed journals <laughs> when we need to go look in there with this all the time. Um, but but Kristen found another like-minded nurse, and it certainly piqued our interest. We wanted to talk to her because we know she has come under fire and criticism, and certainly she has been a voice in the midst of the pandemic telling people how to stay healthy and how to fight COVID should you get it. But she also brings a a lot of experience as a nurse from, as she will tell you, from the 1980s, where she has seen and heard pretty much it all at this point, and how critical thinking and asking good questions and searching for the answers has informed the way that she works as both a nurse and certainly as a mom and as a citizen. So Michelle, Nurse Michelle, as you can find her on uh, social media, thank you so much for being our guest today. Would you share with our listeners your history of kind of what's gotten you to uh, present day where you're now an advocate helping other people know what you know? What's your story? Okay, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you. I'm so thankful Kristen and I found each other, I think through Dr. McCullough is actually how we found each other. So um, I am a nurse of the 1980s, and I am more than half of 100 years old, so I've been around for a while. I have six kids, and um, I, half of my kids are adopted, half of my kids are biological, and um, a lot of the experiences that we've had as a, as, uh, as a family has definitely contributed to, I think, what, where I am right now. Uh, that may be true for everybody who's more than half of 100 years old. So anyways, in the 1980s, I graduated just as a person who wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. That was a dream I have. I have a baby girl right now who has a similar dream and is about to graduate nursing school because she has that similar fashion design and um, passions. Um, So anyways, I started out that way and I was quickly elevated to a position of leadership when I was really too young to be put in a position like that. And uh, looking back now as an older woman, 
I can see why the hospital wanted to do that with me because they didn't want a person that's my age right now leading like they should have because they wanted somebody they could actually mold into what they wanted that was probably brainless coming out of nursing school, thinking that we're so smart and thinking we know so much and we actually really just don't know anything yet. And, um, you know, they put me in that position. And before I knew it, I was in a high risk OB in Atlanta is one of Atlanta's um, largest um, high risk OB settings and um, nightmares that I saw there was, you know, a big wake up call to what happens in the medical profession for me. So not long after that, I was a parent and being a parent changes everything. Um, I think that you know, being a medical professional that becomes a parent and um, suddenly has your child that you're going for it, you're trying to be a responsible, good mom that's one of those people who's well-informed. We don't question that when we're, pre uh, we're, when we're pregnant that we're going to read the book, you know, um, what to expect when you're expecting or what to expect during your baby's first year. And um, we don't think anything other than that we're good parents if we show up at a pediatrician checkup with our healthy little cute baby dressed adorable. And we're gonna to talk to the pediatrician and in the few little 10 minutes, we're gonna see them for who knows how long. And when that pediatrician says, oh, it's time for your baby's whatever scheduled vaccine, we just um, pull up our little baby's legs and we restrain them on the table or do whatever it takes. And some lady we don't know walks in with them on a, a tray and we restrain our babies and we let them get the shot and we feel like we're good responsible parents. And um, before I start you know, saying, how do I become a person who has issues with the childhood vaccine schedule? How did that even come about? Know that every parent who ever probably became a person who's ex-vaccine or anti-vaccine, once upon a time was a parent who walked into the pediatrician just like you and got the vaccine for their child, but they have either an injured, permanently handicapped or dead child now, and their eyes have been opened up to something. And you think that we're in a minority when actuality, you probably know, um, everybody you know has um, a child that they know that has some kind of injury that's happened from this and they just take for granted because it's now the new norm. I have children from the ages of 32 down to 14. There's six, uh, there's six of them. And um, the story of having that many children and now two grandchildren as well is an eye-opening experience to see what has evolved in that amount of time frame with that many children. Um, when, we, when I was a um, nurse that was thinking I was so informed with my children, I thought I was being among the smart nurses that said, oh yeah, I'm not gonna be getting that particular vaccine or not following that schedule exactly. I'm gonna delay a little bit for that one. I'm gonna space those out a little bit more. And we're thinking that, um, and, and we were a population of nurses that thought we were a little bit more informed than the majority. And somewhere along the way in my parenting experience, um, a woman came into my life who was extremely anti-vax and I thought it was my job to make sure to inform her of her ignorance and make sure she knew all the truth of science because after all, I was science. I was a nurse and I knew what I was um, talking about. I had been educated and she must not have been. Looking back now, I know that she was put in my life to save one of my children and I did not have the ability to hear her. So um, I wanna say to any medical professionals that may be listening to this, um, do you recognize that um, you have a propensity toward, you know, pride in your profession that you think maybe because you are a medical professional, you do know all things, but the reality is, is that you do not. And there's things that you need to learn about. So um, for me, it took um, something bad happening to a child for that to happen. So any parent who's ever had a, a trauma happen to their kid, um, knows who that child was before the trauma happened and who what happened after and they could verbalize with their mouth 
what changed about my child? And they would go to their pediatrician and say, something has changed, something is wrong, something happened. I think it all happened right after we had this jab. And 99% of the time, the pediatricians do not hear when a parent says that. So the majority of people who are in the vaccine injured population are not heard initially. They're gaslit. There's, and, and I mean, here I was a medical professional and I was gaslit. But I noticed um, soon after my second daughter's um, first introduction of a live vaccine, which doesn't come until around 15 months, which is the MMR, that she changed severely, okay? And when, a, when you're a terrible two, when it's my second child, and let's say most people only have one or two kids, you may never know what it's like to raise a kid that doesn't have an injury like this, okay? But I had four other kids after her and one before her, and only one ever had this kind of severe kind of thing happen to them. And when, when I mean, she brought me to shame in every public setting. I could have four kids at a doctor's appointment and I'd have a nursing baby in my arms, a 12 year old reading Anna Green Gables in the room, two twin little boys that were two years old sitting there with their little book and everybody's calm. But if, as soon as mom turns her eyes away from this particular child, she was opening the door, running down the hall, laughing like a hyena and getting on the elevator and escaping before I could even pass the baby off and, and leave. So needless to say, the, the pediatrician assumes that you have parenting issues with your child if this happens. And I show them the children sitting on the bench that are perfectly behaved and say, so it's me? You know, I think there's something wrong with her. Can we help? So that process was ignored during the ages of four to about um, the, by the time she was 16 years old. Um, and that's a long saga that um, somebody can go, if they want to go to my Instagram account that's called The Face of COVID-19, um, I have a purple sweater on and they can read the, hear the entire story because it, it's a book in itself, what, what this child went through. So long story short, we just accept that we have a child that brings us to shame in every place we go. She has exceptionally difficult behavior issues. She suddenly can't read anymore. She suddenly can't write anymore. She suddenly can't count anymore. And everything about her intellect was um, um, was mentally retarded. I mean, that was the scores on the intellectual sc scores. I mean, she went from being a normal person to intellectually her um, re retardation of her ability to think, okay? And um, the parent who is raising a child like that knows how difficult it is, how desperate you are to find help. And thank, thank goodness we found people who could help us with her. So time goes on, we get help for her and we are just told that she has whatever diagnosis she has and we just pursue it never associating it anymore to the vaccines because after all, nobody said it was. 16 years old, um, she's about to get into a school program, even though we were homeschooling, to be in this home school program that was public school, um, she had to be up to date on her vaccines and she was behind on her chickenpox vaccine. So she got her chickenpox vaccine and long story short is my daughter lost her uh, living mind um, before the next three months was out. I mean, jumping out of moving cars, trying to jump out of moving cars and trying to jump through windows, through the glass. And it's, it's too much of a story to go into here, but it, she was a 100% psychiatric case. And if anybody has a 16 year old daughter who's suddenly acting like this, what are you doing? You're taking away their phone, you're taking away their restrictions. You're thinking what's, what's wrong, what's your problem? And it took being a nurse and seeing my daughter at a table suddenly start staring for a few seconds, like nobody was home, like she'd just been given, you know, some drug that you're about to, you know, anesthetize somebody with. And then she comes out on the other side of that stare, another personality for a nurse to recognize, I need to call a neurologist and find out the daughter's having seizures all day long. So 
not the kind that fall on the floor. And so your average person doesn't even know there's a thing called silent seizures. So your average parent who has a kid like this in their home isn't even going to call a neurologist, much less know to do that. So anyways, she ends up in a case that's clearly a chickenpox vaccine injury. And we are introduced to the world of um, the vaccine injured. And in that nightmare, we've been in, we've been in, um, so the questions that I ask doctors, if I tell too much right now, I, it may give, a, give away some of the answers because at this moment in time, I'm just like all the other people that I ask these questions of. I have 12 questions I ask medical professionals because of what happened to my daughter. Um, I am shocked with what I found out. Nobody knew the answers to because obviously anybody who has a kid with problems, they're looking for help and answers. So you do not become a parent who can help a child without asking questions and thinking. And so you ask doctors and you seek out professionals to give you those answers. And the nightmare that I became aware of is that the same thing that's happening with the set, sadly, the COVID vaccinated people is that. Uh -oh. oh no, we lost her. We she lost her. It, it, it bleeped out for a second, and then and then she came back, and then she was. Like, so we're going to pause. Back on. We'll pause. No, it's great because I actually want to clarify something really quickly because I appreciate that Michelle shared it this way when she when she talked about her daughter and her abilities being retarded. I want everyone to remember that's an adjective. I feel like obviously right. it's really, like, you can't say that word. It's right. an actual, and thing. she's right. describing it at, for with her daughter. As okay. yeah. her daughter and saying this is what happened to her abilities they were slowed and I do feel like we have turned that word into something like you can't say it's an actual adjective to describe what's happening and Michelle we were just we were just saying we saw that you had a technical glitch and, and we lost you so we're glad you're back but we were explaining how when you said my daughter's abilities were retarded that's an actual medical and 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 physical, logical term for describing what happened to her. And yes. I think sometimes when people hear that, they have a knee-jerk reaction, like, you know, don't say yes, that. Yes, now it's not, it's not politically correct to use that word anymore, but that's literally but that's, what the doctors used with me, was that your daughter's functioning had um, diminished so severely that that was the term that is medically accurate to use to say that. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, um, forgive me all those who were offended by that. No, um, don't. So no, 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 no. We, we want people to not, not be offended. offended. We want people <laughs> to be offended when you're describing medical terminology, right? It's yes. different to use something as a slur than it right. is to say, this is what is happening medically. And we've got to- All in context. we got to put context behind everything and tell people to quit being so sensitive. Okay. Um, so this very brilliant doctor actually was able to say something. He says, your daughter's right brain is functioning at a high genius ability. So she was like 140 or something IQ on her right brain, but her left brain was uh, 50, okay? So, so he said, you know, if you do not do what I am going to advise you to do for the next 10, you have until she's 10 years old to do what I tell you. And if you do not do this, literally she's probably gonna end up in jail because this kind of severity of a brain injury is gonna change her that much. So that, that's just a story people can hear about in on that podcast, uh, uh, not a podcast, but on my videos about that. Those videos about my daughter's injury is probably what initially damaged my account, my original account, because um, 
I was, I had been warned not to talk about this publicly because it's dangerous to talk about it publicly um, for reasons I'll get into later. But anyways, I had, I was sick and tired of being afraid of um, this information out there. I thought, oh my goodness, absolutely. During this pandemic, people need to know stories about what happened to my daughter so they can relate to what's relevant today. Um, what's happening right now. So I don't remember where I actually cut off my brain. Got uh, 12 questions like that you said, yeah. we were just getting to that, that you were saying that you're not going to learn unless you ask questions and find the answers. Yes. Yeah, so here we are trying to ask questions. And, um, the, and I, before I tell the whole story about my daughter, which isn't relevant totally right this moment, I started asking questions and it really started on a social media platform because if I start telling the truth about my own life, somehow that's not allowed to be done. <laughs> so I'm telling my own story and I'm being attacked by medical professionals. So in that process, I had to ask them questions to see if they knew answers. So all of the questions that I ask, I say to them, you are absolutely not allowed to Google a single answer that I ask you. You are to answer the question immediately because one, you are attacking people and, and disparaging people who are in any way, shape or form saying that the childhood vaccine schedule or this present vaccine should be questioned. So if you are such an authority on vaccines that you um, can say to all of us that we should shut up, be silenced and be censored, then you sure better know the answers to all these questions and you better know them right off the top of your head. Because yeah. after all, you, after, Ooh, all you <laughs> after all, you say you're an authority. So um, the first thing I ask people, um, I've, I've rearranged these questions in different orders and they do not belong in the order I'm about to do right now, but because of time, I did not find my original one, that, the best one that has the order correct. Because this first one kind of gives away, I, I'm tempted to do them out of order for my list and risk getting them out of order because <laughs> I do not want to give away certain things. So the, one of the first questions is, do you know how many vaccines were mandated between the ages of birth and 18 years prior to 1986? And, you know, nobody knows the answer to this. This is just the basic. This is just the basic history of vaccines, and do, these are the kind of questions that you know people should be able to ask. Do you know that there's a time period where the number of vaccines changed, and do you know how many were present and it mandated for people prior to 1986? And then I go on to ask another question that says, "And how many vaccines are mandated now between the ages of zero and 18?" So, um, you know, as far as your people listening, any medical professional that's listening. Um, you know, I'm obviously going to give the answers to these questions right now, but you have to ask within your own conscience, do you know that answer? If you don't know the answer right now, I'm about to be the person that's going to inform you of what the answers are and you needed information because you didn't have it. Okay. So that's just a humbling piece of knowledge that we all have to just accept that we don't know that. But prior to 1986, um, we only had about eight vaccines that were mandated on the uh, population for go to school or things like that. If you were to look at your grandmother's um, generation, I mean, they may have had one vaccine in their childhood. My mother, who's 75, my grandmother's 90, my grandmother, my mother's 75, may have had four vaccines, but I'm more than half of 100, I'm 55. So I have had um, about eight in my life, in my lifetime, okay? And then when I ask people, you know, how many are mandated right now for your children? So I have a grand, I have two grandbabies. How many shots are going to be given to that? And nobody knows the answer, but they always guess. And the average person guesses about, oh, it must be like 10 or 15 now. 
That is not correct. The answer is 72. And every time I say to anyone that that is the answer, they're like blown away. They can't believe it's true. And what they don't understand is that when I was in my 20s and thinking I was being a good mama, taking my kids to get shots, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, good mama, of today. And you're sitting there with your baby restrained on your lap. And they're inje- instead of my baby just getting injected in one thigh, your baby's getting injected in one thigh and the other thigh and the other arm at their two-month checkup. And you think they got three shots, but they didn't get three shots. They got eight antigens injected into them that day because now it's evolved into quadrivalence and trivalence where they're actually at one shot has three antigens in it. The MMR is a perfect example of that. Measles, mumps, rubella. So when you get the one MMR, you're getting three antigens at that appointment. And that's required to be done three more times or two more, that particular one's a second time before they are um, 18 years old. So that counts as six, you know, that um, two MMRs, two measles, two mumps, two rubellas. Okay, that's, that's, how they, that's how they're counted. People don't understand that. So when you're counting, when I was saying before 1986, what changed, you know, what happened, these kids, when they actually got one injection, there was actually one antigen being given to them. Um, for example, if you go and get a tetanus shot today, you think when you go to the ER, the doctor's going to say to you, oh, you have this major injury. You need to have a tetanus shot. There is no such thing as I can get a tetanus shot anymore. You're going to get a DT. You're going to get a diphtheria and tetanus shot because you can't get just a tetanus shot anymore. Yep. Okay. So, that, so that's a question that I, I, I should start with, but I'm not, it's not. So I'm going to go back to my order that's out of order. Um, do you know there's a federal vaccine court in America? Okay. That that one really belongs at like question number five, um, because there's a building process to this, because that's a blow you away kind of thing. Because let me tell you what, never, ever has any doctor I've ever asked in the world known that there is a federal vaccine court. When I asked my own pediatrician, do you know there's a federal vaccine court? The answer was no. Okay, so think about what a pediatrician is. A pediatrician is a frontline vaccinator. The 99% of our vaccines happen before 18 when they are injecting us in their offices. And she didn't know there that, was one. That is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that is, that is also illegal for her or him not to know because they are required by law to report vaccine injuries to the federal court. Is that not correct? Am I wrong? Well, so what they're actually, what they're actually court, required probably. to do is one of my um, questions, one of my questions, they are only in, required to inform you of the potential risk. And this is how it happens. You're, you're told that you have a vaccine due and they hand you a little black and white piece of paper. It's front and back piece of paper. It says whatever the vaccine name is that day. And you read it. And on the very back bottom right corner is a little warning that says in the event of a very rare, but, you know, very unlikely thing, you need to contact the vaccine, blah, 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 which I'll give away if I say anything here. All of us know the answers to these questions if we actually read all these documents. Um, But nobody apparently is reading it because it's in the fine print and they add in the fine print that, you know, in rare circumstances, like people who have children with AIDS or something like that that have a, a compromised immune system. Well, uh, mo- 99% of parents don't have a child with AIDS. So when they see that statement, they're gonna like, oh, this isn't relevant to me, this isn't relevant. So we don't pay attention to it. So the, par- the, the doctors are following law by handing you that piece of paper and that counts as your information, okay? That's what you got. So, um, so when I, I say to them, do you know- It's just what? in the office. Ours didn't even give us that sheet. It's just in the office, like the little flyers. They just, don't hand oh. it to you? 
Yeah, they haven't handed I've it to you. They handed me the sheets, but now my children are 23 and 15. So they handed me the sheets. And by the way, uh, my youngest child did not get them all because uh, I woke up. <laughs> I woke up. But but yes, they, they used to hand me a piece of paper and it was very generic. Very generic. So so the way so the answer to the question is do you know there's a federal vaccine court is the vaccine court was established by the federal government as a court of special masters judges are appointed to be vaccine court judges parents of injured children and adults must get their own vaccine court lawyer vaccine lawyers are paid out of the vaccine fund even if they never win the case and even if they abandon their client lawyers are still paid the fund is financed by every single American citizen who receives a vaccine. There is a 75 cent surcharge on every single vaccine to fund the vaccine injury court fund. And an injured party only has three years from the vaccine to sue the Department of Health and Human Services, the federal government, and then can never sue again. Okay, so that is the federal vaccine court that everybody needs to just look up and know exists. And no, prior to 2020, these questions were being asked by me, but nobody knew the answers to this. Now, the world is getting more informed because of what's happening with the COVID vaccine. Right. So, so that's thankful. And for the record, the reason why everybody's informed is because of the anti-vax community that informed them. <laughs> and, you know, we stirred the pot and made sure it's out there. So, and for the record, I am an ex-vaxxer, not an anti-vaxxer, um, but I'd be proud to be an anti-vaxxer like my kids are who have kids. Um, they, they will not have their children ever be um, injected until there's significant reform. Reform must happen before any vaccine, as far as we're concerned, is safe for their kids. The next question, number two. Well, this is really number three for this podcast. Do you know what the VICP is and what does the acronym stand for? Um, so that's VICP. And 99% have no idea what it is. And the answer is that the VICP is the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program that was established by the federal government in 1986 under President Reagan to prevent American citizens from suing vaccine makers following injuries and deaths to their children. Okay, so prior to 1986, there were so many lawsuits brought by citizens against the vaccine makers that they were about to put the vaccine makers out of business. And the lobbying of the vaccine makers went before Congress and terrified them apparently that somehow if we didn't get all these vaccines, our entire population would die of childhood diseases. And so therefore we must change this and, and stop these vaccine companies from being put out of business. So they have were given 100% liability protection under federal law that never doesn't matter if any of y'all are old enough to remember the Tylenol thing that happened um, back maybe in the 80s um, when cyanide was put in by a rogue employee and there were several a couple thousand American citizens were killed by cyanide poisoning okay so just some rogue employee did that if you if this happened to children with a childhood vaccine the exact same scenario there is nothing you can do it, there's nothing you can do there's only one path to travel and that is through the federal vaccine court you cannot hold them liable for anything that they cause to happen to your child. And I won't go into the full details of that right now. So um, question number three is, as a medical professional, do you know how to report and where to report a vaccine injury? And if you do, where? Okay, so prior to 2020, nobody had ever heard of the system. That is the next question, which is, do you, before I answer that question, I want to ask this question. Do you know what VAERS is? Do you know what the acronym V-A-E-R-S is? Now, everybody thinks they're an expert on VAERS now, 
but um, prior to 2020, nobody, never, ever did I have a single doctor, hundreds of them asked that knew what Bears was, okay? I, I, I'm a person that, you know, won't shut up. So if I'm, a, I'm, if I'm a patient in the hospital, which I regularly am, I have medical issues all the time. I ask every nurse that comes in the room, every doctor that comes in the room, they may be coming to talk to me about the bleeding internally that I'm having, but they're not getting out of the room till they get questions asked because I want to know what they think about things. They did not know what VAERS was. So to know the answer to the first one, you got to know the answer to the other one. VAERS is the vaccine adverse event reporting system that a lot of people are informed about right now. And it was established by the federal government after they passed the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program Act that protected all of the vaccine makers, they wanted that they had, they knew they had to have a system that people could actually report these injuries to. So the VAERS system was created so that doctors, when people would come and report these injuries, could report them and we would get signals to know whether or not there was a problem with the vaccine. Vaccines have been pulled off the market because of VAERS. Um, and if people look back on some history of some of them, as the dengue vaccine and a few others, you know, killed a few killed a lot of children. And after a few, a few were killed, it was pulled. Okay, that, that's not what's happening right now. So theirs was meant to capture adverse reactions so that we, we could say, oh, this needs to be changed. Oh, this needs to be improved. Obviously, if we are, if we're buying any product, a vacuum cleaner, if it fails to function, it's going to get a recall and we're going to get a new one sent to us and the company's going to owe us some money. Okay. Every industry in our country is expected to perform except this one. Okay. So it doesn't matter what goes wrong with a vaccine right now. They don't, uh, for the most part, um, these kind of injuries, if they're not getting reported, they're not going to get pulled. They're not going to get changed. It's not going to get improved. Okay. So back to that question as a medical professional, do you know where and how to report it? And the answer is that theirs is where the medical professionals are supposed to report the vaccine adverse reactions. And why does this program exist? Because adverse events occur following all kinds of artificial things added to the human body. Penicillin allergies are an adverse event. We all don't have anything against penicillin just because somebody has a penicillin allergy. If your friend is allergic to peanut butter, we're not anti-peanut butter. You know, it's like, so how is it that I can have an adverse reaction to everything else in the entire world and I can just write down on my medical report that I'm allergic to these things, but I'm not allowed to be allergic to any of the who knows how many additives that are inside of one vaccine. So it's absurd that a kid can't have a potential reaction to any given agent inside of any vaccine. So the reason it exists is so that doctors will recognize, hey, this kid, this mother is saying something really bad happened, you know, that day within 24 hours, within 48 hours. Oh my goodness, I need to report this to theirs. And that is apparently not happening. Question number four, five. Do you know how many vaccines were mandated? Okay, we already did that one. Um, and we already did the age of the time of how they are. Do you know what the name of the act was that was passed by Congress that gave 100% liability indemnity free protection to all vaccine makers? And that is called the National Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 that we previously did. And that's the one that set up this whole system where there's a federal vaccine court of special masters. I can't go to a just court and get any judge to hear my case. I can only have appointed judges federally appointed judges hear my case. 
and it's um, there's there's all this um, it's a tort system that they have there. So I have one chance to bring my case before that. I have to get all of the information on my child. I had three years to do it, get as much medical information, and then I have to get a vaccine court lawyer. I just can't get my friend that I trust. I have to get a vaccine court lawyer. And then I'm going to bring my case before the court. And the court, 99% um, of cases that go before the court do not win, do not win, okay? The largest win in the country is called the Hannah Poling case, P-O-L-L-I-N-G. And they happen to live in Athens, Georgia, not far from me, and they're acquaintances of mine. And it took 10 years for that case to um, be won. And my daughter's case is six years in, okay? And, the and every single time I get something from the court, another letter from the court, there's, a, there's an absurd reason why I, it's being halted every single time. So for me, I had a lawyer abandon my case after about four years. And the court happily paid him $75,000 because he gets paid for his wages, even if he fails to continue. So, so I had no incentive for them to even win. Like there's no, no there's no incentive for them. No. I mean, the Hannah Poling case was a $10 million case. They could have gotten a lot more money, obviously, off of that case. But um, this is the problem. It's up to me and my lawyer to find brave doctors who are willing to actually look at all your medical records, which I might add, take up a four foot shelf on one of my bookshelves. She has every specialist with, you know, inch to three inches of paperwork inside of it for every specialist, because my daughter's diagnoses are incredibly large. I mean, epilepsy, auto, auto, um, myasthenia gravis, um, my brain, I have MS, so I can't count on everything coming off. But anyway, she has every organ in her body had adverse reactions, okay? But the most important thing was autoimmune encephalitis. And um, that disease, that diagnosis, it nobody even knew what that was really until 2015. And her injury happened in 2013. So I don't want to TMI anybody. They can hear my story somewhere else. But the point is, is that look at how many brave doctors we have right now willing to speak out about what's going on in our society. Not very many. This problem existed before there was a COVID vaccine or, or COVID. We have a lack of bravery among doctors across our country. So if you're not willing to write for the record on a federal document that you know for sure that this mandated vaccine, chickenpox vaccine, could actually do this incredible damage to a child, you don't have a chance in a federal court, okay? So I had to become my own expert. And I thought if they're going to make harass me and make this life such a living hell for me, I'm going to write a 350 page document that they, they're, they're going to know exactly what I think about this. Mm. So um, that's what I started doing is writing incredible documents of with research wow. that I just could literally drop other experts ideas. Okay, so the next question I asked the doctors is, do you know that there are ICD 10 codes for vaccine injuries? And there's no reason to go into all that right now, but basically an ICD is every single time you have any kind of medical condition, these are codes the doctors have, you can't get billed, the insurance companies can't get billed unless there's an ICD nine or 10 number <coughs> code, a diagnosis code given. So when we went into the ER with an anaphylactic reaction with my daughter, what did they do? They wrote down every other ICD 10 code for anything that had nothing to do with the vaccine. They wouldn't hear me, they wouldn't listen to me, they didn't write any codes that would appropriately do it. So if the doctors don't even know there's ICD-10 codes for that, and there's some diagnoses for uh, injuries that don't even exist yet, nobody's created an ICD-10 code. So this is doctor talk, 
medical talk that they don't know what it is. Okay. Next COVID vaccine injuries right now too. Say again. This is happening with COVID vaccine injuries too. Yeah. No code for what you have. Same coding issue. Yes. Okay. So number eight, um, please provide the numerical value paid out by the federal vaccine court since 1986 to permanently handicap injured and dead Americans following that any childhood vaccine. So they, the answer is blank faces. Nobody knows the answer to this, but it's almost $5 billion. And the reason why that needs to be said is um, $5 billion represents that many people who've had children that are handicapped, injured, or dead, okay? They, the federal government paid them, actually taxpayers paid them because every single time you get a vaccine, you pay 75 cent surcharge into this giant bank called the Vaccine Injury Fund. So that in the event your kid's one of the severely injured kids, there's money potentially for your child. Next question, do you know what VAERS stands for? And we did go over that, that it, that is the va Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And then the other question is, what year was the measles vaccines introduced to the United States? This is just a random question just to test them because they're like, vaccines have saved lives, children are not dying anymore from all these childhood vaccines. Um, and then I asked them, you know, what was the mortality rate from measles in 1960 versus the mortality rate from the measles today? And, uh, you know, I can drop that citation for y'all later. But here's the shocking reality is if you look at when the measles vaccine was introduced, I think it was in 1963, um, the mortality rate was like one in some massive number. I mean, there was hardly anybody ever dying from measles because something had changed in our society. It's called public sanitation, clean water, public water, and refrigeration. So when you don't suddenly have an outhouse sitting over your well that's contaminating your water supply for your family and you actually have refrigerated food and now there's antibiotics that you can treat diseases with, guess what? Measles isn't a big deal anymore. So if you look up the stats on what the dates are for the measles, the, the death rate for measles was down to like, I can't remember what it is. It's like one in 2000 at 1960. The vaccine was introduced in 1963. The death rate for right now for the de measles is the exact same as it was in 1960, okay, post the vaccine. So if your kid comes down, if we have a measles outbreak, guess what we're going to do? We're going to make sure they all get high dose vitamin A and we know exactly what to do to take care of them because we have a modern medical system that knows how to treat all of these childhood diseases. It is not the end of the world. My mother, that my mother, my grandmother, and all of them had measles, mumps, and all of these diseases. And they have a superior immune system to us because what we've all learned through this COVID vaccine is vaccines make us dependent essentially on them. So it's, it's called um, original antigenic sin. So all of us have committed original antigenic sin to some degree. If I had an MMR vaccine and didn't have actual measles, mumps, or rubella, I committed the original antigenic sin of being dependent on only what that vaccine gave me, okay? So my body forever can only respond to that virus, measles, mumps, or rubella, based on how it was trained to do it with that MMR. But if I had just left my kids alone and let them just get measles and mumps, they would have built up such a superior immune system that they would have fought. Right now, the generation that has those antibodies in their body, 
are dying. They're going away. They're disappearing off the earth. And kids, I have an immune depressed child. So therefore that those children will not be able to get immune globulin anymore from people who actually had the disease because those people are disappearing. Mm. Um, and, and honestly, this is a really sad reality. It, uh, women entering the workforce propelled a large reason for why there was mass vaccination of these childhood diseases like chickenpox. Women needed to not stay home with kids for 10 days sick with chickenpox, you know, one after the other getting it. So getting the chickenpox vaccine chain is a game changer. And then the next question is, what is the percentage of vaccine injuries that are actually reported annually? And do you know that the, the, the fact is, is that it's only 1% that actually get reported. And everybody talks about that now because um, right now the COVID vaccine has so many um, deaths and injuries that are associated to it right now. And uh, it only is assumed to reflect 1% of the actual truth because the DHS hired Harvard to study how effective VAERS was at capturing the injuries. And they discovered that it was only capturing about 1% of the childhood injuries long before COVID vaccine ever came on the scene. So um, the, the last thing is that, uh, just to know that, is that whatever numbers you see on any kid, like let's say $5 billion was paid out to children already, that's 1% of the actual children who should have gotten payout. My child is six years in and has never gotten a single bill paid for any of the injuries she's had because we're six years in and probably are gonna lose, especially now that I talk about it. Um, okay, and for the record, I was told by an FD, FBI friend not, never to speak of my case, like I'm talking to you now, around my phone or in, in, in a situation publicly where it could be recorded because I was being watched. You know, so I did, I did remain silent for a long time. So I think American citizens should care that I can't talk about my daughter's case. It's my daughter's case. I should be able to talk about it wherever I want to. Yeah. And then the, la the last question is, are you aware that the CDC provokes anti-vaccination for a population of Americans? And that always messes with doctors' heads all the time. And that's why I enjoy it. It's my last question. Because <laughs> there, if you actually know what the CDC has on their website that has contraindications um, for vaccines, they actually have a list of people who shouldn't get certain vaccines. And sadly, my daughter counted as one of those categories for her, should never have gotten a live vaccine. And she got, she got them all and she's now permanently damaged because of that. So, and, and the CDC says that that could happen to you and it's right there. And my pediatrician wasn't informed and didn't know that. So that is the, that, that story. So the Michelle that sits before you, that's now the COVID nurse on my platform, the face of COVID-19 first had to come through surviving six years in the vaccine court and the realization of the abandonment. I mean, when we, when we went to our pediatrician and said, we think that she's vaccine injured at 16 years old, I had six kids, one who was about to get a pacemaker put in and my pediatrician dropped 100% of my family. We were as a family practice. They dropped her, all five of my other children and me and my husband from their practice. So immediately I was you know, abandoned so the real reality is, is this happens 99% of the time to people who have children with vaccine injuries. It's a hands-off, stay away. And any parent who hears these kind of stories should say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, if that's true, am I really gonna be alone? I better be better informed and find out if Michelle is speaking truth. So that just, I'll leave that with, those are the 12 questions yeah. that you should know whether or not your pediatrician knows. And the way to deal with your pediatrician, once you feel like you're informed, is literally going to the Children's Health Defense Fund and Foundation's website yes. and downloading their documents that you can print off. I'd like it if they would print 
create them in black and white instead of bright red and blue um, because they're expensive to print off and give them to your pediatrician and, and start a dialogue like that. Um, the 99% of people who call their pediatricians after a newborn baby is born. This is what happened when we found, tried to find a, a, a doctor that was pro letting me do what I wanna do. <laughs> when you call the office, it says, we only accept people who are going to 100% comply to the CDC guidelines for vaccines. Yep. And there's a reason for that, Michelle. There's a reason money. why they need to comply and it is money. Exactly. And the reason why it's money is because insurance companies are who are predominantly paying the doctors for your visits, right? And they will not, they give bonuses. They have bonus programs to doctors or practices that have the majority of their patients vaccinated on the CDC schedule. That's, that's, yeah. That's not a myth. That is not a myth. And this is why you have, and ask your doctor, um, ask them, what kickbacks do you get from the pharmaceutical companies uh -huh. that produce <laughs> these vaccines? I would love for you to tell me. And you can lie to me. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find okay. out. Well, this is what this, when we finally found a pediatrician, because let me tell you, it's hard to find a pediatrician that's going to let you do what you want to do. And so they hired their staff to answer the phone accordingly. And I, as she said it, I said, do you realize that you sound like you are a communist or someone from Nazi Germany? And if I don't comply with exactly what I'm supposed to do, you're, you're not gonna allow me to even have care there. And when I got to the pediatrician and she explained it to me, her words were, if you tell us in advance that you're never gonna get any of these vaccines, we can go ahead and in advance notify the insurance company that you're gonna, <clears throat> that you're going to do this. So therefore you're not going to penalize me financially. But if you wait until your 15 month checkup the day of, and you come in and you tell me that day, she says, I'm immediately financially penalized by it. So she says, it's about keeping educated parents who fully recognize you can't spring on the parent. You can't, that's how you'll get yourself booted out of a practice because they're in a trap that the way that they get paid is only with compliance, with a certain percentage of compliance within their practice. Well, most most parents don't know that well visits are pretty much a screen, or pretty much the way that they keep you on the vaccine schedule. I mean, they say it's for the health of your baby, and perhaps they really believe that. Some really believe that, and perhaps that's really what they're they think they're doing. But we had a general practitioner out of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, Dr. Cami Bitten, who said most pediatricians don't make a lot of money if they can't vaccinate. And this is from a doctor in the field. She said, we, we, this is where we make the money is from the vaccines. And this, so again, guys, here's what we're saying. People get this cognitive dissonance when you say the word vaccine and they, they either they're hungry to learn and then sometimes maybe go all in without questioning. You can't do that either. You can't just believe what Michelle says and I say, and Amy says, Chris says you we're telling you, you can go look this up for yourself. Exactly. Uh, you know, don't just believe what people tell you. <laughs> We've got no. to stop that, right? But it's, we're, we're telling you to question so that you can really truly have what you were supposed to intent originally have, which is informed consent, where you know the risk benefit profile of everything that is put into your child's body. And as the fear they use against you, or I'll say me, because someone who started questioning, I have a vaccine injured nephew, and I had a sister who had a preemie born at Duke. And, the, and Duke University said, do not put your child on the schedule. He is not ready. When she goes to the, to the, to the pediatric, pediatric visit, they said, well, we won't see you then, right? So that's where she, my sister started going, 
why won't you see me when the people who deliver this baby, who, by the way, a teaching hospital that tends to know more than you do, right? Um, <laughs> like that they're saying, don't do it. What is the reason for the conflict? But this is what they'll use. Childhood diseases have been eradicated. Diseases that killed massive parts of the population have been eradicated due to vaccines. But the, what Michelle said that we want to highlight, or I want to highlight, is when she said, but, the, but how we treat things, we don't put leeches on people anymore to suck their blood out thinking that works. We have advanced so far with nutrition, clean water, refrigeration, so that yeah. they wouldn't wipe masses out today as they did then. And, and right now we still have outbreaks of measles in spite of it. And they always want to blame it on the anti-vax community. But New York, there was a lawsuit in New York that actually showed that it was actually vaccine strain measles that caused an epidemic up there in New York. So people can look that up if they want to. Well, even the um, vaccine derived polio, the, yes. the polio and then also pertussis, that outbreak in Texas, I think 95% or 90, definitely a high 90s were vaccinated and it's because it has changed and they haven't changed the vaccine so it's basically like you're using the same old shiitake that you've been using for something that's changed doesn't that sound familiar yeah yeah it doesn't does that sound familiar but i have yes. a question for you michelle did you have a gut okay so i was the exact same way as you where i was like okay I know they probably still need the vaccines, but I don't want all of this on their, in their immune system. Like I still, I, I would have people say I, they had a vaccine injured person, but I was always like, well, how can you prove that? How do you know? Maybe you're just assuming, I still had that like skepticism, but I also still had a gut feeling. Like every time, every time I went to the doctor's office, I, I mean, I'd call Amy and I would, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to do it. Like I'd call my other, my, one of my nurse friends. And I was like, what do you, and she's always, she always called me. What are you going to do? What did you do? I mean, because you're like, you're, you feel like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Okay. And I also. Because it's the me. only thing in your life, the only thing in your life that you blindly accept and let them yes. do to your children. Yes. And you're letting them do it to and your I'm children. I'm kicking myself. I told Mitch last night, I was like, I was so dumb. You do more effort to get a car seat for your child and a yeah. stroller for your child. You do more research on which brand is best for your child, but you don't do a single research on what's inside that vaccine that your child's getting and how many things are being injected. What is every single additive and adjuvant that's in there? What's the history of I it? What is the question to ask. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, got, I see y'all. Can y'all hear okay. me? Sorry. Okay. okay. And, and Michelle, the other point to make is too, um, you know, ask your doctor how many hours of education did you get in medical school on what's in these vaccines? Yeah. And what are the adverse reactions to the vaccines and what causes that? How many hours did you get? I've asked doctors that and they said zero. And guess who they told me? Guess who they told me teaches them about the vaccine? The pharmaceutical the, the company. Pharmaceutical company. Yeah. The pharmaceutical and do you know company. that they're not tested together? They're not tested together. And you know what I also read the other day in VAERS, I'm sure you um, know this, Michelle, <laughs> but when, when they say who, when you're when physicians or healthcare professionals are required to submit a report with VAERS, one of the things that you're not required is if it's a vaccine mixed with another vaccine. You're not required. So, so if pharmacists, so basically if you got a Pfizer, you know, first yeah. shot or second shot, and then you go get a Moderna booster and there's a reaction, you're not required to report that yet. They didn't even test those in clinical trials, but they're saying that it's okay to give it. And they're giving flu and COVID shots together. Never yeah. tested those. Like this is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Like, so this brings up the next question that I add now to my questions, which is 
if you don't know what the VICP is, which is the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program is, and it's been in existence since 1986 and you're a practicing doctor, do you know what the CICP is, which is the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program? And I have a document that's on my website at Advocacy with Michelle that is specifically about the vaccines. And it's, um, it's done Socratically, it asks you questions and it has links that give you the answers so that you don't even have to do excessive work. You know, the work's already been done for you. Just push the links, get the answers. But the CICP was um, designed, the, the COVID vaccine and let's say remdesivir and let's say ventilators or whatever they have approved for the treatment of COVID is a countermeasure. So if you have been injured by a countermeasure or dead from a countermeasure, you have a claim in the CICP, the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. But here's the glitch. You only have one year to file. It took me three years to gather all the medical information because in the first year, we were living the nightmare of a severely injured child who was losing her mind, okay? So who was having medical crises left and right. Most of these people who are having severe reactions to the COVID vaccine are in severe crisis. They're just looking for help. They can't function anymore. They can't go to work anymore. They can't do jobs anymore. Needless to say, it's not on their to-do list to make sure they file before one year that they're with the CICP. Here's the other glitch. The doctors like, doc, I'm sorry, the lawyers like doc, um, Aaron Siri, who is suing um, left and right for the uh, Informed Consent Action Network, the federal yeah. the reason you know about the Pfizer documents is because Aaron Siri made sure that they got yeah. released. Okay, that's that's Thank all. Thank God for him. He's a, God. he's a vaccine court lawyer. Okay, yeah, like he's among the vaccine court people. But you can't go to him with your COVID vaccine injury. If you go to his website, you'll see that he can't help you. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he can't help you is because you only can file in the CICP. You cannot file in the VICP until the COVID vaccine is added to the children's vaccine schedule. And yeah. once it's added to the children's vaccine schedule, it's almost untouchable. Okay. And there's no cases that have been won yet in the CICP. Almost nobody knows about it. And there's no lawyers, as far as I know right now, that'll even take your case. So, so it's a really bad situation. And I will tell you, it's a, if you're willing to take a chance with this COVID vaccine, knowing that you have zero anywhere to go for help, unless you know people like myself or others that are out there trying to connect you to advocates that are actually trying to help or even know there's a FLCCC I recover protocol that can help you. I mean, that's the best we have to offer right now is some doctors who are brave enough to say, okay, let's look at the symptomatology that's happening with this person and let's just deal with each of the symptoms and help them at least at that minimal level. So that's kind of like, um, it, it's all TMI. Um, I would say to anybody who is thinking about voting for anybody right now, if your politician, I don't care what side of the camp you're on, yes, if, yes. if they haven't said a single word about mandates over the last two yes. years, they're not worth your time. If they, wow. not, if they do not know that medical professionals have lost their jobs, they better have something to say about it. If they do not know that colleges are mandating children to be able to be vaccinated or not be able to come to their colleges and that nursing students are being disallowed from graduating nursing school if they don't get their... Um, because like University of North Georgia here in our state, it, students not allowed to graduate with their nursing degree that they have earned, it has nothing to do with the hospital, has only to do with that college, prohibiting that student from graduating because she failed to get a COVID vaccine that is shown to be in, inefficacious, okay? So it is happening all over the country. And I, I would love somebody like Charlie Kirk or someone like that to start a campaign that has this massive website 
that you can report all the communist colleges that have required anything like this on their students, report them and get their names out there. They have something. Uh, Here's a college something. Hang on. Not Charlie. He has Carter. it for bad professors. He has it for bad professors, but he does. I don't know of anything that's for reporting this kind of thing, but we need people reporting things. Stories that I, I get in the thousands every week stories that are nightmares of what their college students are enduring, people who tried to get religious exemptions, people who tried to get medical exemptions, doctors who refused to write medical exemptions. You know, if, you're, if your politicians do not know this is happening in their state and they have nothing to say about it, they are useless on this topic and they are not going to help us. And they right. need to feel some pressure that we want them to know. There are people who are more intelligent than you, like let's say the FLCCC doctors and Dr. Peter McCullough, who are skilled to have this conversation. Don't be a politician on this matter. Get the skilled people up in front of your audience and let them tell you what the solutions need to be for what's happening in our community. Because, you know, the American Medical Association and any corruption in any of these powerful entities, we need politicians who, who see it and want to do something about it. We need, uh, I, I, we need lawyers and we need judges that see this too. This is just really ridiculous. But there is something called nocollegemandates.com. Um, and I swear, I think I even found it first on Naomi Wolf's the dailyclout.io. But nocollegemandates.com is a coalition of several thousands of college stakeholders working to end campus COVID-19 vaccine mandates and restore medical choice. The latest our latest initiative is a letter campaign notifying colleges that the FDA and Pfizer may have committed fraud in the development and distribution of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. We hope, to, we hope to prompt them to investigate further and see that vaccine mandates are harmful to their students' reputation and in the event that fraud is proven, potentially their endowments. So, oh, yes. So, so, so that on your website, <laughs> I'll send that to you. But it's like, I remember seeing that. I was like, yes. And I think they're actually like, winning they're sending letters to these colleges and, and to even to your point just to add to that I met a nurse that had let her license lapse when she um had kids and her father was really sick and her father passed away and so she was trying to go back and get her license online renew it they won't let her in North Carolina because she's not vaccinated online just to get her degree okay this is yeah. real well <laughs> that's what's interesting too what you just said about sending that letter out and saying that they could um, if they are found guilty or whatever, you know, if they do find that this is fraud, that they won't receive their endowments or whatever. Isn't that what's happening? Didn't Dr. Thorpe on our practice, mm -hmm. like in Austria, where was it Austria, where yes. they're no longer doing the COVID vaccines and they're basically now coming after the physicians and blaming them and saying, well, it's your fault. You gave it to them. That's true. And so well, it's like, y'all better watch out because it better come here. I hope, I hope that we follow in Austria. I'm about to release a video. Um, I'm working on editing it with somebody I'd love for y'all to um, interview sometime. Jody, Jody O'Malley, who is a HHS whistleblower that. Um, yes, I remember her name. Yes. But anyways, um, she, uh, she's looking at it and seeing how I can change it up. She sees it as it could be done three different ways. <clears throat> but basically it's a video challenge. I've already put one out that's called A Time for Justice. And this one's going to be, it's time, it, justice is coming. And basically it's a threat. And it's me saying a threat. It's like, it, whoever, I am going to, man, I have 14,000 followers on one of my accounts, 11,000 on another one of my accounts. I am going to encourage every single person that ever says to me anything about an injury or any harm coming to them, sue them all. Go after every single person you possibly can. Go after the hospital where your family, if you have someone who died in a hospital with COVID, sue that hospital. And, and Liberty Council is one of the options. 
and um, Doc Michael Yoder, I think is another one that is on my list that you need to get a lawyer, you need to secure a lawyer and you need to sue the hospital where your loved one died because most certainly something happened that was related to either NIH guideline or a doctor failing to allow your family member to have a legal prescription from the outside. Um, the nightmares that I had to deal with to fight for people in every state in this country, this no matter what, the answers were 100% the same. They would not, it was almost like there was a robotic plan that was given to every hospital in the country that no matter what, I mean, if you were not prohibited, if you were prohibited from seeing your loved one while they were sick, you have a lawsuit. If your person died, if your person is now still struggling with any kind of medical condition post that hospitalization, you have a lawsuit. If your doctor said to you when you got COVID that they could not help you, that you just need to go to the hospital if you have difficulty breathing, you need to sue. Everybody who did nothing needs to be sued and everybody who did something needs to be sued. It was money that motivated some of these protocols that caused the death or harm to your loved one or yourself. So therefore it's gonna be the loss of money that's going to change things. So everybody feels a little intimidated. So I feel like it's up to us to start empowering people to feel powerful that you can do something. Um, it, if, you know, if it's a million dollars, if it's $10 million, whatever it is, there was a $10 million suit that just was won with, um, you know, um, Liberty Council for on behalf of medical professionals who lost their jobs. Nurses, so, nurses. So that's the question is like, I've had lots of people, we have a hospital here that has, Novant has taken over and is not, it, we've had some testimonies and a lot of bad things. And I'm like, this could be a class action lawsuit just in itself, just in this hospital, but no lawyer is taking it on, even with proof. So this is where it, so when you say sue them all, it's so much easier said than done. Just like doctor, just like how McCullough and Dr. Thorpe and all these doctors and Dr. Corey, they're getting their licenses threatened and they're not, you know, it's even hard for them to have a lawyer and lawsuit and stuff. And so they are bringing the to, they're going to bring the lawsuit to those powers. So right. the American Association is going to be sue counter. There's going to be a suing of them. Right. And, and it's going to take intelligent doctors like them that are brave to bring this on and make it happen. And I mean, and we obviously need to support that. So yes, I think the majority of people aren't lawsuit happy. I'm not a lawsuit happy person, but right now I am. But we can't I, find lawyers that'll take it on. Like, yep. so are you saying Liberty Council may have like some, kind of like the FLCCC has doctors, they connect yeah. you to doctors. Lawyer. Yeah, okay. yeah, they have, they have lawyers. So, okay. so I, I, I'm gonna ask them, I'm like, I'm about to send thousands of people to you. I mean, literally, <laughs> Ready because I want literally everybody to be afraid. I, like you want to mess, you want to threaten my kid. You want to tell my daughter, my nursing student daughter, she's not going to have her profession unless she submits to some mandate. Okay, we're coming for you. Right. We are not going to take this laying down. And I think that it's going to mean people that are feeling the passion to recognize there's injustice. Those of us that are motivated by injustice to act, those are the people that need to find the lawyer friends they know ask the question, see who's willing to get on board. I mean, is Liberty Council going to lead the way? I don't know who's going to do it. Aaron Siri is a lone ranger doing what he's doing. So really all it takes is a, a few brave men, mm -hmm. women to get out there and do it. And, we, and I think it's got to be an obligation to do, to find those people and motivate people to see that they have a voice and they have a, a lawsuit to bring forward. So, so, just just us telling people that giving them the knowledge i can i could i should you know that's that's yeah. what it needs to be so right now i mean the reason why i have the platform uh, treat rona at home and the face of covid and my website advocacy with michelle 
is because I recognized after being a severe COVID patient myself that it was 100% up to me to save myself. Uh, there was nobody coming to help me. The doctors, I have a son with a pacemaker. I have a daughter with a brain injury. I have 15 comorbidities. I was told the same, all of us were told the same thing in 2020. Ty, take Tylenol and cough syrup and go to the hospital when you have difficulty breathing. We, I have 15 specialists for my own body. All of them said the same thing. My son with a pacemaker, the same thing. I said, isn't the world locked down right now over this virus and all it needs is Tylenol and cough syrup? I think I, so. So then when you end up in the COVID unit naturally with a person with high risk who gets COVID, obviously is not going to do so well with Tylenol and cough syrup. Um, I end up in the COVID unit and that is where the nurse saw what was happening. And you're, if you were not a nurse, you would just be like feeling like I did as a, a normal person, which is, oh my gosh, I'm, they're wheeling me into the COVID unit. I'm probably going to die here. You know, the, the person in me in 2020 thought I'm, pro I'm somebody that's probably going to die here. Mm. But it's the nurse that when they denied me my nebulizer and I said, what, what in the heck, why would you not give me a nebulizer? And they said it's against NIH guidelines to nebulize um, COVID patients. And, and my logical thinking brain says, I can't breathe and I'm doing nebulizers at home. Why are you not going to give it? Because the, the nebulizer will disseminate the virus into the atmosphere with the steam. Oh, Lord Jesus. This happened I, in our hospital. They did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I said to them, I said, you are in every PPE there is on your body because you're in my room because I am disseminating the virus. Yes. The entire is disseminating the virus. I am the virus. Give me my nebulizer. And they would not give me my nebulizer. All they will give you is an asthma kind of inhaler, which by the way, a COVID patient couldn't huff. You can't huff because you cough it right back out because you have such a severe cough. So anyways, I was on a walker for a month and I was on oxygen for three months and um, I still sleep with CPAP every night to this day. And I love it. It's the best thing ever. I look like an ICU patient every night. But my point is, is that I, my body, doctors wouldn't touch me. I couldn't see my cardiologist with severe chest pain. Nobody wanted to touch me. They didn't want to touch a COVID patient. I was like the plague. And um, I had to wait three or four months before I actually got into care of doctors. And when that, by the time I was, I was sick in July of 2020, by December 2020, the vaccine was just starting to get released. And that's when I opened my account and thought, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but all I've got to do is I've got all these brave doctors. Zelenko was out there, America's frontline doctors. I don't think FLCCC was there yet. And Dr. McCullough had already published his stuff and, and Richard Bartlett had already published something about budesonide, those, those, all I knew was it was confusing information for a medical professional. How could I get that information and put it all in one place and simplify it so, and, and teach people how to take care of themselves at home because nobody's going to take care of you. You're going to have to know how to be a nurse and a doctor for yourself at home. And I'm going to hopefully be able to find people to help you help, help this. Thank goodness. Now when people say, Oh, I want ivermectin. I'm like, I gotcha. I just <laughs> dropped quick link and there's grave doctors that'll happily, you know, give them what they need. Um, so that wasn't the way it was in December, 2020, but it is, thank goodness. Now there's help available at the tip of a fingertip. And so now, I mean, you know, the girl that went through all that with the vaccines that uh, went through my own COVID nightmare um, came to be nurse Michelle on my treat Rona home platform and I had no idea that, you know, something that would start with 20 people on there would grow. 
And I was so excited when the growth was happening, like, oh my goodness, good. This word is getting out. And then people would say, I'm sharing it. I'm sharing it. And I told him, I'm like, I can only help who hears me. You have to take what I teach you and you have to tell people in your community right. because nobody's telling them what I'm saying to you. That's so it. They're, they're taking the challenge and they're sharing the information with their community. And what I, I, I don't consider myself that naive, but apparently I was naive because I would not think somebody doing what I did was doing would get censorship. Like would get community guidelines. Yeah, like I, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for that at all. When I started getting my stuff deleted and I started getting alerts and all of a sudden my algorithm was messing up and instead of seven or 8,000 people seeing my story a day, all of a sudden 50 were seeing it a day. And I'm like, wait, what's happening? I mean, obviously I can't, just like I told everybody about the vaccines. If you're a doctor, you can't be an expert in everything at all times. I'm not an expert in algorithms and how to run a platform and, and go up against whatever's happening to me. This is outside of my power. And um, the amount of time it takes me now to have to edit my content so that I have code words or emojis speaking for the letters is absurd. And here I've got like when um, Marjorie Taylor Greene just recently got um, taken off Twitter, I called up her, 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 her place and I said, I'm so thankful that you got taken off of Twitter. Maybe now you'll understand what all the people who have no voice are Thank experiencing. You. Thank you. Know, you. Yeah, what is what is somebody going to do for us? And any politician who isn't speaking to that is not helping what's going on in our society. I should be able to speak freely about what I'm saying. I literally intentionally motivate my followers to go and report obvious, blatant things. Like I said, if you see porn, report, report, report. Because what you're going to find out, I said, we got to occupy these fact takers with yes. chasing down these actual problem people so they don't have as much time to chase after people like me. And what happens 100% of the time, I get a letter a week later that tells me that they have reviewed that site and found that they did not break community guidelines, even though it's graphic pornography. But if I yes. post something about a nasal spray, I'm deleted yes. within an hour. Yep. I'm well, and and I you want people to know that you have like really good information, like with, and, and demonstrations and reels on the nasal washings and gargling that we've talked about, because truly we want to, you know, we talk so much about like, you know, all the negative stuff, but we also need to realize that you, it is treatable. Just like Michelle says, it, she's come out, out on the other side. You know, she knows what to do. She, I mean, a lot of us do, but we get, you have to think about that too. Why is a reel about a nasal wash? that's literally over the counter ingredients. Yes, Get available it. in a pharmacy. Yeah. <laughs> Go buy it on a pharmacy shelf. Why are you censoring me? And here's the shocking reality is they've taken away all of these kind of um, reels about these kind of things. And then about six months later, they give it back to me. And they say, we've determined that it doesn't break community guidelines, but my algorithm's still ruined. Every No matter yeah. how many hundred people follow me daily, my numbers never go up anymore. No matter what I seem to do to make my account grow, it can't grow. So um, there is a degree of discrimination that's happening and I am a person that has a right to a voice. So that's beside the point. The point is, is that there is a way to treat COVID and do brave doctors have shown us that there is a way to take care of this. There's a way to protect your family. And the way, then the way that I simplified all those brilliant doctors words was by coming up with a protocol called snort gargle nebulized supplement, the mm -hmm. snort gargle nebulized supplement protocol. So snort 
there's nasals. This, there's a reason why that they test you in your nose and mouth for COVID. It's because it's growing in your nose and mouth. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if it's growing in your nose and mouth, you need to do something in your nose and mouth to stop it. And their studies long before COVID, we already know otolaryngologists and ENTs were using nasopharyngeal sanitation after they had e nose and mouth surgeries to keep the sanitized area clean from infection because they already know that COVID iodine and hydrogen peroxide can help cleanse those areas. So this is known science, this isn't something new. But when companies like Halodyne came out with a povidone iodine product that could have done amazing things in early spring of 2020, the FDA ruined them. I mean, they, they basically declared their product a new product because uh, betadine was only previously ever used like on the surface, not in the nasopharynx. So they were basically declaring a new drug and the FDA, even though they're going to give remdesivir an EUA, they wouldn't let basic little povidone iodine survive in the market. So it was destroyed. That company was destroyed. And um, now, now we have companies like Cofix and Immune Mist that have come out with um, iodine products. And um, those products are, are available now for you. And I have coupon codes for that for people. Oh, but yeah. yeah. So people can get it at a discount. But uh, so thankfully, Snort is get yourself a nasal spray that has a benefit of showing reducing replication in the nose so that you can help this stop getting worse and it won't get down into your lungs. Gargle so that you will stop the replication in your mouth. Do it every four hours. Do the nasal sprays according to directions unless you do my DIY. If you don't have the money to buy immune mist or um Cofix, then I can teach you how to make it homemade. And so um, some of the doctors were out there teaching like Dr. McCullough, but sadly it was a little confusing the way that they, they, that they were discussing it. Mm. And I thought, goodness, we got to simplify this for people so that it's <laughs> easily done. So I simplified it so that people can make the na homemade nasal sprays and gargles or buy them. I've got those for them to buy and then nebulize. That, that I even have a citation from the National Institute of Health that shows that nebulizing 1.5% hydrogen peroxide is effective in COVID. So when I have doctors and nurses say, this is absurd, I'm like, okay, we'll take it up with the NIH. They're the ones that have it published that it actually works. Um, but, but I don't recommend people do that high. I actually have people do it according to what I call the Dr. Brownstein protocol. And I teach people yep. how to make 0.4% hydrogen peroxide. So anyways, they nebulize. And if they don't nebulize um, that, they need to nebulize salt, salty water, just simple saline, but they better nebulize. And then the doctors have all come up with a varying degree of supplements and steam inhalation of essential oils and things like that. You know, treatments for um, your, your um, fevers, like, you know, hot baths with me, uh, magnesium sulfate, which is um, Epsom salt. Yeah. You know, there, there's ways that you can do this at home. Jeez. And if you if you're faithful, if you're faithful to doing it, you will not end up in the hospital. And if you're faithful to doing it prophylactically, your case is going to be a lot milder. Yeah. And I think this is what's important, Michelle, is, and we've said this for the whole, over the year that we've been doing this podcast, we have reiterated time and time again, if there was treatment, there could not be a vaccine. They never wanted there to be a treatment. They absolutely, the evidence seems to really point to the fact that they were never going to allow for any treatment unless they were, the NIH was being paid for it, which is when Pfizer comes out with this uh, drug now. Uh, what's the name of it, y'all? Paxlovid. Paxlovid. With all these rebound cases, I have one, lady, great. one lady messaged me. She's like, I got it worse on the rebound. I was so sick. I was out for two weeks. Everyone I know that got COVID, that it was not vaccinated, I'm telling you now, 
Like this is not their experience, but my friends who have been double or more vaccinated are struggling. And we have got to make sure people understand we got to stop this madness and you've got to open your eyes. And listen, if, if, if only 10% of what we shared today is true, that should still alarm you. <laughs> because if we got 90% wrong, the 10% that we got right today should scare the shit out of you. Excuse my language. Yeah, it right. should really alarm you. And we try not to say, we yeah, try not to say, but come on. <laughs> You know, I did have a friend say, how do I share this with moms without scaring them? I said, honestly, at this point, scared. scared. I'm not trying to invoke fear, but if educating oh. and informing people is going to make them scared, then they probably need to be scared well, because they're hiding from it or they're scared to know the knowledge. Like well, at, well, at this point, I'm like, you have to just do it. I mean, you have to either feel, have it on your conscience that you're not sharing it, which is why I want to share everything. Even though Michelle, I'm even worse. I literally... I had eight people looking at my stories. Okay. Eight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And I'm not social media. Yes. And I know we need to wrap this up, but yeah, social yeah. media is supposed to be our platform to reach so many more people. And, and you have to think our intention is to help. Our intention is because we love care and genuinely want to save lives and help people. And yet we are being suppressed and censored and shadow banned. And we work our butts off. I spend a lot of money on, I mean, not a lot of money. I don't, I don't spend any money because I ain't getting any money for any of this. But <laughs> out of the goodness of my heart, I spend a lot of time. We all do. And just to share it, like you said, marking out vaccine, marking out COVID, marking yeah. out, it's so ridiculous. It's, and yeah. this, this is exactly how I want to actually, if we can, I'd love to put a pretty bow on all of this. And to, first of all, we want to also direct everyone to Michelle's website. It's not shadow banned. <laughs> Michelle, what's your website address again? It's advocacywithmichelle.com. And it's Michelle with one L. So M-I-C-H-E-L-E, advocacywithmichelle.com. That is not shadow banned. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. <laughs> And my um, Instagram accounts are treat Rona at home, R-O-N-A at home. All right. So as we were saying, um, so Michelle's website is where you can go that is not being shadow banned, but you can find her on Instagram as well. But I do want to remind everybody, if you hear any of this, we, we encourage you to question it. We encourage you to seek the answers for yourself. We ask you, we beg of you to be a skeptic, just as we were, be a skeptic and go and look for yourself. And, and just remember, blind trust is not a luxury we can afford anymore. And there was something I read recently, and it might have been Amy or Kristen. I think Kristen shared it, and then I saw my mom shared it as well. And by the way, my mom, I have to give a shout out to her because this week she said, you know, you girls have been saying you just at least need to talk to your inner circle. And I feel so convicted that I today reached out to my inner circle and said, I am wrong if I don't tell you what I know. You don't have to agree with me, but you should know what's going on here. So kudos, mom. I'm proud of you. But that's what all of us need to be doing, right? Just at least let your friends and family know. The, ask those questions. Ask if they know those answers to those questions. But something that was said was this. Those of us who speak out against vaccines don't have anything to gain from it. We don't make money for it. And we obviously aren't praised for it. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We are ridiculed, made fun of, disrespected. We very often lose friends or our relationships with family members are severed. We are dismissed and belittled. Some even call for us to be criminalized, but we speak out anyway, knowing what it may cost us. Maybe it's time to start asking why we're willing to risk all of this when we have nothing to gain. Instead of calling us crazy, 
and swallowing every spoonful of information fed to you by the people who make billions off of you and your children being sick. And I think that's the best way to leave this. Look for yourself, make up your own mind, but do not trust the people who are making billions off of you. They yeah. are not the people to be trusted. Exactly. Michelle, thank you. thank you. It's been such a pleasure having you. We want to have you back on again. I know we will in the future. We'll yeah, keep fighting sure. a good fight together. All right. I am so thankful to meet all of you. I'm thankful for what y'all are doing. Thankful for your voices that you won't be silent and that you're speaking out. We're going to yes. be on the offense. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,